Welcome to the Parent Podcast, where each week we'll discuss topics relevant to parents. Whether you are expecting the arrival of your first child or have kids preparing to graduate from college, we've got you covered. Each week, we'll bring on different guests who will provide their expertise and perspective in an effort to remind you that you are not alone in this journey and encourage you as you raise and lead your family. Hello, everyone. Robert Nash here, children's pastor at Autumn Ridge Church in Rochester, Minnesota, joined, as always, with my awesome, amazing co-host, Derek Free. Derek, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I love your radio voice. Thank you. It's it, fantastic. I, I try to go an octave deeper for everybody. No, yeah, this is definitely Silky my radio smooth. voice. Uh, Derek, we uh, we are coming back kind of on a uh, part two for episode two here. We uh, started talking to one of your friends last week. The conversation was so great. We said, well, let's pause it here and pick it back up for a second episode. Yeah, we talked last week about uh, parenting kids in, in kind of today's world and in today's culture. And we talked a lot about... We talked all last week about COVID and and all of the things that have to do with that. Today, we're going to take a step back from COVID. We're going to talk about parenting uh, our kids in today's culture uh, from things that are kind of outside of the realm of COVID and uh, um, are things that are just about um, our students and our kids nowadays. But we are, again, joined by my good friend, Scott Foster, who is a pastor at the Grove Church in uh, Maple Grove, Minnesota. And uh, I've known Scott for a long time. He's a great guy. But Scott actually brought along a friend as well to join us for this one. So, Scott, why don't you introduce us to your friend? I did. This is Darwin Grazer. He is our junior high pastor at the Grove. And he, before being a pastor, was a public school teacher. And so I thought it'd be fun to include him in this conversation. He's also one of our more technologically advanced guys. He (laughs) He runs our feed for our live stream on Sunday mornings and is just kind of as a jack of all trades. Pretty knowledgeable guy. Why is it that we always give the uh, extra jobs in the church to like the the student pastor, the children's pastor? It's kind of like here's everything else we need done. <laughs> Who can do it? I know student That's pastor, right. children's pastor. That's because we are generally the most creative people that in the has church. To be it. We're, that has we're to be it. We're the only ones that have creative, fun, good ideas, right? Isn't that how that works? I'm taking it. That's that's the answer from now on. So I'm just, yeah, I'm being facetious, people. That's not real. That's not. <laughs> hey, so like Derek said last week, we, you know, we talked about kind of the uh, the current issue, which is COVID and uh, the effect that's having on children, families, um, and and how it's going to look coming out of that. But the reality is, and we hit on this, uh, we talk a lot about. Hey, you know, when this is over and we can go back to normal, there is no more normal. What was normal no longer exists, and we're going to enter into a new normal. But a lot of the same issues that kids were facing and, and somewhat are still facing during this COVID season will exist. And uh, so so why don't we jump in on that? So one of the things with uh, our uh, kids and students that I think is is a huge difference uh, from them to even like their their parents or even just the the kind of generation before them is just the amount of uh media that they uh consume and are surrounded by from a very early age i mean we you know i know parents and and people who when their kids get crazy they just throw an ipad in front of them and that's how you calm your kid down like just the amount and the effects that um media is going to have both in terms of the content of what's out there, but also the amount of time. Maybe let's just have a conversation about some of that and the effects of media on kids and students and and what we should be thinking about that as what parents should be thinking about that in regards to their kids. I mean, I think if you think about parents today and even the short window it's been time-wise from when they were raised, I mean, I can go back to a time 
to which the, you know, the TV that I had actually had knobs and dials on it. And so the amount of shows you had, I know that, that definitely dates me, um, but the amount of shows you had were, were based on set times. And so there maybe was a time or two each week. And I kind of am from the era of the early video game systems, you know, and television and the early onset of like Xbox. And so it seemed like the big shift has come in the reality that now today parenting is a lot harder because of the accessibility of screens and specifically the, the amount of content that's being delivered. And so I, I think one of the things that parents are really gonna have to be aware of is you're gonna have to work hard now to intentionally disrupt your children's habits and the trends that they learn as a child, because honestly, it starts, it starts so young. And so Darwin has uh, two twin boys that are very young and then my daughter's a little bit older than them. But I've watched my three-year-old. I mean, she, she has full mastery of an iPad. She can open and close apps. She knows how to actually hunt stuff. She can't even fully spell, but she can use Siri to actually search stuff on the internet. And so we're entering an era where, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, parents didn't have to worry about this so much because things like outside play, interaction, like sports and, you know, and because we're not fully through COVID yet, it's even gotten heightened. I think the parents are really going to have to have set structures and parent more intentionally. And so one of the big complaints my kids give me is dad, how come I can't be on my iPad when you're on your phone or your iPad a lot as well. And so it requires to, to parent different, to have different standards, to set up your family in a way to where you're actively thinking about how much time you want you know, your kids spending on their devices. For kids, I went and got a new pair of glasses and just to kind of show some of the uniqueness of this, one of the questions they ask you now for eyeglass prescription is if you automatically want a blue light blocker on your lenses to be able to keep the blue light out because it tends to impact things like sleep. And so, I mean, if you've done any psychological studies or read the research, there's a book called TechWise by Andy Crouch. That's a great you know book for this area, but the reality is, is you have kids that very much are using technology, much like a, a teenager would use drugs or alcohol. And it's doing things to their development in their brain to where it's making them incredible from a skill set. They're able to do things that we couldn't do, but it's also making them dependent to where their brains don't fire the right way and don't create the right chemicals when they're not using those devices. And so that becomes the thing that fires them up. I don't know what's been your experience, Darwin. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit it. It's, you just have to realize that this media is constant and it's everywhere. Um, and as a young parent myself, I, I definitely can relate to what you were saying about we need to break our habits on screens and set the example for our student, for our children. And then thinking from a student perspective, um, seeing students on their phones, you know, when we were meeting in person in our classroom, when I was a teacher, students, you know, are just hiding their phones under the desks and uh, constantly on their phones then. But now I think even in, I think that is even more emphasized now with school being online is now school is just a tab that's open on their screen. And so there's a lot of passive learning happening and they think that just hearing it is the same as, as uh, you know, engaging with it and actually learning it. And so they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm going to school, I'm learning. 
but really they're playing a video game in the background and texting their friends and Snapchatting and all of the things that are constantly going on. We just have to realize how, how constant it is and how alluring it is and it draws you in um, in all sorts of directions. And uh, yeah. I, th I think one of the things tied to that too that's important is we just aren't very good at having safeguards in terms of how students and kids use technology as well. So simple things like your remotes at home. I mean, everybody keeps their remotes in a common use place, but a lot of people don't take the time to actually set or program what can be seen or what can be used or the time frame. Almost all devices have parental settings now where you can control how much time your student has on the device and then they auto shut off. And parents don't learn the fact that they actually can be in control of their kids' devices. And then I just, as a, as a pastor, both being youth pastors and then now me working more with adults, I get really concerned with the amount of calls I get from families of children who've been exposed to very harmful things on the internet. And so it's very normal for students to have not just social media, but social media accounts that are designed to actually do more nefarious things. And these are just things that they've kept hidden in, in line sight from their parents and their parents not knowing allow it to go on to where by the time they discover it, often it's, it's a pretty significant situation. And so, you know, st statistics tell you that the average young person is exposed to things like pornography now, you know, by the age of seven, seven to nine, seven to 11 is their first exposure. And when you think of like people connecting to one another, students connecting to each other through video games, my daughter was connected through a game and I was unaware that people were talking in the background until I actually heard some of what these people were saying on this game. And it's just not stuff that I'd ever be okay with an eight-year-old hearing. And it was a part of that regular rhythm to where she was hearing some of those things all without my knowledge. And so I think the big concern for parents should be knowing that this is a part of their kid's life for the future. How will they set parameters for how it's going to function in their family? And when I'm tired as a parent, to be honest, I can acknowledge that there's times that I just go to default mode. And I think my wife and I have been talking a lot more recently about how for the good of our kids, we have to lean back into those times and help them set parameters because yeah. their kids are teenagers and they don't know and they don't have the ability yet to know what's best for their for their long-term future. Yeah. And I like I think one of the statistics that's out uh now, and it might actually it was a couple of years ago, so it might actually be outdated, is that teenagers spend about nine hours a day consuming media. So from a parent perspective, just imagine, I mean, if you're not intentional about that, imagine what you could do if nobody watched you for nine hours. That's the hard part. I mean, that's the intentionality of what we're talking about is you 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 can't be intentional and think, okay, I'm going to watch them for an hour and I'm, I'm intentional because then there's about eight hours they're consuming media that you're not intentional yeah. about. I mean, that... that it is it is a daunting task. Definitely. And now you mentioned, uh, you know, needing safeguards. Number one, you said that there's a place in the house where every, everyone always puts their remotes. I need you to come over and teach my family that because the remotes are hidden anywhere and everywhere, somewhere different, anytime I need it. So that sounded amazing, but off topic. So safeguards, you said, you know, there's always parental settings. And yeah, um, I know, yeah, like the Kindle, they have kids specific kindles and those come with a ton of safeguards but uh you know they all have it but but what beyond those settings um could parents do within their home 
just make your home a place where you can talk about those things safely. Um, so I'm currently in a series with my middle schoolers about um, sexuality, relationships, dating, things like that. And um, as I'm talking to parents about this, I'm encouraging them to, uh, you know, start not just a talk, but a conversation with their kids. And that includes every area, whether that's in technology or whether that's, you know, something that they hear at school or hear from a friend. Um, make it uh, make it known what you believe in those areas and what um, the Bible says in those areas. And, um, and then when they hear something or encounter something that is against that, let them know that they can come to you with it. So if they're watching a YouTube video and something flashes on the screen that they didn't want to see or um, didn't expect to see, uh, they can, rather than just, you know, either following that curiosity trail or just ignoring it and stuffing it down and forgetting about it, you know, pretending to forget about it, um, they can come to you as the parent and say, hey, I saw this thing and I just wanted to let you know that I saw it and this is what I did. And then you can speak truth into that. So be available for those things um, along with that practice not being surprised by anything that your kids tell you <laughs> or or at least taking that surprised reaction and moving it into the bathroom 20 minutes after the conversation and you know looking in the mirror and being like what but um in that moment you have to stay neutral you have to stay um supportive or else you could scare your kid and they don't want to share anything with you anymore say oh that made mom or dad feel this way. Um, so I'm not going to share that anymore because I don't want them to be angry at me or I don't want them to be sad or, you know, these things. Right. Um, you can feel those things, but in that moment, you've got to be neutral and supportive. I think specifically for like safeguards on top of the conversations you want to have and how you frame that are looking for practical things. So like almost all devices have set parental controls now, such so as TV, your Xbox, your, 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 um, YouTube has them. Yeah. YouTube. And that's one of the things. So like YouTube's actually more recent studies, like Barna has shown that YouTube tends to be a, a, a site that parents actually feel like is very safe for kids. And it's one of the least safe sites mm -hmm. if you're left unmonitored. So understanding the parental controls for the thing, and then you have filters. And so looking at filters, like what do they do? Uh, what devices they cover because each filter will filter out different things. So you can program in um, company uh, specific words that you want to filter out or topics or themes. And then you have the idea of installing monitoring software. And so, I mean, I would encourage parents like this is the thing where, you know, Darwin and I've talked a lot about building a trust relationship versus becoming a spy against your children or your teenagers. And so you want to build a relationship that eventually is two way that is honest and transparent. And so you have to be very careful if you're going to, to put things on your kids' devices that are spying on them. I would be truthful and tell them that. Tell them that I see. So my kids actually know that any um, text and or picture or video they send it actually comes directly to my iPad, which ends up frustrating me because it fills up all my memory. On my <laughs> I don't want 900 pictures of Roblox on my, on my iPad. But the reality is there are things you can install now that actually help filter in content. And, filter content. And this is where like, Andy Crouch's book 
has a lot of uh, suggestions. He has a web training for parents too on being a TechWise family. And then you have like mobile device management that actually helps monitor content on mobile devices. Because this is where I feel like kids, I mean, I'm, I, I've been at birthday parties for eight-year-olds and 80% of the kids now have smartphones. And I, my wife and I have, a, we've just decided that we know that it's a safety issue for some parents, but we've been more proactive to say that we would like our kids to get into their early teenage years before we actually engage a cell phone. And again, often parents want to give them devices earlier out of, out of laziness because they want to be able to basically track and know where they are versus having to do the work to ask the questions about parents who are visiting. So as parents, we actually talk to other parents when our kids go to their house about what they're allowed to watch, what they're allowed to engage. We have conversations with the parents, not that are weird. We ask normal questions like, hey, we have some parameters for our kids of things that might scare them or we don't think are appropriate. Like what types of things do you allow your kids to watch? Just ask questions. And then I think social media and text messaging is probably one of the greatest areas you have to be careful because social media is, is so, I mean, it used to be there was two or three sites. And now, I mean, at the last uh, seminar I went to on social media, there was like 169 active sites that were used for people to people connection. And some of them I never heard of, some were from foreign countries, but often they just allow students to have a connectivity that if, if it's not guarded is unhealthy. I was reading an article and there's like apps specifically designed to hide the messages you're sending to hide the pictures you're taking. Um, I can't think of any of the names right now, but but there were several of them. And its sole purpose is an app that doesn't look like a, an app that a parent should be concerned about. It has a name and a picture that seems friendly. And so then I guess the question is, you know, you don't want to be over controlling and, and making your film children feel like you don't trust them at all, you know, and, and having filters and monitoring software in place is great. But I mean, would you say that that parents should every now and then do like a phone check? What's, what's your call there? I mean, I, I think it's wise on the drive from Maple Grove to Rochester, there's a giant billboard that advertises a, a search engine that hides everything you search. It's a huge billboard between me and us and you guys. And I, I laugh because obviously it's getting a lot of traffic, probably generating a lot of revenue. But I realize that that's the world we live in is we're taught from an early age and we're taught obviously in the Bible and Genesis that it's our human nature to hide things that we feel unsafe about or we hide things we're embarrassed of or we hide things that are sinful. And we have to teach our kids from an early age, you can be truthful with me. Um, I'm gonna help love you in a way that's healthy and I'm, you might have consequences for the truth, but the reality is once you start to hide, it creates trust issues that build and build and build. And so I just think for your good of your kids, you can do it by logging onto your phone account and just taking a look at the records because it kind of shows highlighted categories of who they're talking to. You obviously should set for younger kids. If you do give them a device, I mean, you got to make sure they understand what they're allowed to and not do. Cause it's, I mean, I have a three-year-old and she doesn't know. And so she just pushes stuff. And she, she Alexa girls, she just said, Alexa, show me girls, mm. you know? And like, that's definitely not a safe web search anymore. Right. And so, and I think, you know, tied to this is just the reality that this entire world is not teaching our kids how to be in relationship with one another. And so it's a whole separate conversation that's important to this topic is because kids tend to present the best versions of themselves, which we call a lie. Um, they present the best versions 
online, where in reality, it's a lot harder to get to know someone and you have to work and they see your flaws and they see the imperfections. And I think as, as Christians and as Christian parents, we have to make sure that they're learning to have real relationships because no matter how technical our, our, you know, country or our world becomes, you know, we know that disciples are made person to person, you know, they're not made, you can definitely stay connected via technology, but there's something that was designed by God for us to be in real relationship with each other. And I feel like the more we have kids lean into the advances of technology, they tend to basically accelerate and you have to decide it's kind of like sexuality. When do you want to flip that switch? Cause they're never going to throttle back on their own. You have to decide how they're going to navigate that journey. To kind of maybe bring this kind of topic kind of to a, a conclusion, I think, I would say based on, you know, what you guys have shared and stuff, I think for parents, um, you know, all of these safeguards, things that you want to put in place, they're all great and they're all super important. But I think above all that is to be honest and open with, with your kids, with your students that you're doing it. So it doesn't feel like you're going behind their backs or you're spying on them or, or, um, expecting dishonesty from them. Um, or them to do these things. And so being honest with them about what you're doing and then just having those open lines of communication, it's really easy for this to become a you against them issue. And that is going to cause way more problems in the long run. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, from a parent perspective is, is you want this to be a us collectively, collaboratively, you know, addressing this as opposed to a, this is you against me kind of a issue. For sure. Um, so, so kind of switching gears here, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the mindset that our kids have today. And I hope everybody understands whenever we say kids, we're referring to young kids, teenagers, older you know, teens, uh, the like. But uh, a big part of their life now is kind of pursuing, it's driven by social causes, uh, entrepreneurship. So can you speak into that a little bit and uh, how, how kids are driven by that and how parents can maybe help facilitate that in their life. Yeah. Um, I think we've really, really seen this, especially in the past 12 months with all of the political unrest and the rioting happening, things like that. Um, there is now this culture of um, if you're not posting about something, then you are on the wrong side about it, especially for, um, thinking in like middle high school where they really are into the social media realm. Um, I, I have some students who follow my Instagram, you know, the, the my personal Instagram and the uh, ministry Instagram. And so I see what they post on their stories and, you know, things about causes that they really don't know about and what they really don't know what they're promoting when they post this thing, but everybody's posting it. So I should probably post it too. And then I've even heard stories of students who don't post those things. And then when they get to school or they're talking to their friends, their friends are coming to them and they're like, why are you not posting about this? You must feel that this is wrong or you must be on the wrong side of this. I can't be your friend anymore. And so they're dealing with this interesting dynamic of, uh, you know, this sounds really good, but I don't think that. I want to post about it, but then if I don't post about it, I lose friends. Or if other people don't post about the things that I post about, then they can't be my friends. And so it's, it's, it's created this very black and white, very divisive culture in, in the social media realm. That's the damage that can come out of it. On the flip side, they could come together 
and they can really go for really good stuff. Um, if there's a cause that they really feel passionate about, they can really bring people together toward it in a way that has never really been seen before. And they feel like they feel like they have a responsibility to do that. Like this, this, this generation feels like for, for that it, when there is something like that, they have a responsibility to go after it. That's not necessarily new. I think what's, what's taking shape now in our culture today is it's, it's, it's happening in such a, a rapid fire chakra and expansion to where it's not an issue anymore. It's a series of issues. And every day people are having to say, I need this or this or this or this. And so like, I think more recently in the last couple of years, which, you know, it was interesting when Colin Kaepernick came out uh, against the NFL specifically and, you know, the treatment of people of a race and kind of the launch of Black Lives Matters. That was a super polarizing thing to where when I ask someone who's 12 now what that is, their perception of what that is and their parent is very different. And so I think it ultimately it comes back to, I think God created us as people to care and he created us to be people who are, who have hearts for justice and have hearts for doing what's right. But yet we have that sin piece that pulls against us. And so I feel like for our kids, I'm, I'm super encouraged because I almost think kids and youth now understand that easier than their parents do, because that's a part of what they've been, you know, I think God hardwired them to be that way. But they haven't been in a culture that's heavily about, well, they have been in a consumer culture, um, but it's not their consumption yet. They're consuming out their parents at this point. Um, and so it's not become their own stuff. And so for them, it's a little bit easier to share what they have. And so I feel like part of the positive of this is we just have to model for them where that, where that source comes from. Who made you this way? Why would you care for others that aren't your family? Why would you care for people that are in situations of injustice? Why would you care for people halfway across the world or for immigrant families here in the greater Twin Cities? Like most people in general would be like, well, I don't necessarily want to. And that's where it's interesting. Both people of faith and people who have no faith, this is one of those areas where they tend to arrive at the same place. And I think it's kind of cool because a kid who has an active faith in God and a kid who doesn't can both lean into a project together and they're doing it for different reasons. But ultimately, the, to be able to keep doing it throughout your life, that motivation has to come from a pure place because I feel like eventually the passion to do it will wear out. So I think what you find, especially with this generation, is they don't tend to stick with one thing for a long period of time. One of the things that I'm encouraged by is I love that there's a creative spirit. I love that kids are thinking about how they can use their talents to make an impact. But you're seeing people take ideas they have and turn them into opportunities to impact more people. And I just wonder if families of faith could start mobilizing their own children or youth in the same way. And that's why I feel like it's so important for us to model what it looks like to serve as parents. I mean, to be able to be people who actively give to others, you know, to sacrifice. I mean, we, we, we have to teach our kids this because if not, they're going to do it is I don't think celebrity is a good reason to be benevolent for others. I don't think like selfishly receiving praise I think it needs to come from a place that's actually meaningful. And I would hope as a believer is tied to your faith in God. And you're seeing young people step into roles and want to make a difference in ways that it often took adults many years as a Christian to be able to engage. I, I would say that 
this one idea right here, this is an opportunity that you have to invest and connect with your student in a way uh, that maybe you don't realize because when there's issues like this that they become passionate about, they want to talk about it. They're open to talking about it um, and, and engaging with you in it. And it's an opportunity for you as a parent to step into that moment to uh, then ask them about it, to engage and maybe work with them and, and build some of that connection and, 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 and relationship with your student um, these are opportunities for you to just have conversations to say, you know, Hey, what are the stuff you're passionate about? Like, you know, when there's an issue that comes up and you're going to hear about it, I mean, there, if it comes up, you're going to hear about it in some way is just to be able to say like, what do you think about this? You know, like, what do you want to do? And, and then do it with them. Well, I think what you see, you know, on TV sitcoms and, and stories is that a, a, a teen, a student becomes interested in a cause and the parents' reaction is always, why would you care about that? That's unimportant, you know, and, and there's always a clash between the two. There's conflict. If we would do this approach, you know, especially if they're just seeing a cause on social media and they, they don't really know the depth of it, you know, give meaning to it, give value to it, number number one. But number two, if you partner up with your kid and they see, oh, hey, th- this matters not only to me, and now I know why it matters, but it matters to my mom, my dad, my, my family, and we're working to make things better together. I think that has tremendous lasting value uh, for your children well into adulthood. When last week we talked about the idea of helping educate your kids, creating ways to participate with them, building community. And I think, you know, and then ultimately you want to see people who lead in these arenas and going back to starting that process over again. And I think the danger here is you got to help educate your kids because I'm amazed. Like I'd be on the streets I see kids protesting against the war and I'll ask them a teenager, well, what was that war about? And they have no idea. They're just protesting against the war. And I found this to be true. You know, with I, I had a lot of good conversations with people to say, it's super important for us to recognize as followers of Jesus, that every person is created in God's image. And we have to live that out in a very tactical way and acknowledge that not everyone's been treated with the kind of beauty that God created in his people. And so, but also be able to separate the fact that there are things that are very, that can be very sinful and how they manifest themselves. And I think we ultimately saw that in the Twin Cities here this past summer is people responded to uh, uh, an act of injustice by doing a whole bunch of acts of injustice. And see, you have to help your kids understand that, you know, things like sin, sin can never be used to excuse sin. And so it's helping them understand what's the root of this issue, how did it get started, being willing to have hard conversations about whatever the topic is. At the same time, I'm going to hit the flip side. I mean, there's a lot of damage that can be done in this same area that if your student gets passionate about something, if you try to shut that down, um, they're going to grade against that. And it's going to, they're going to, they're going to take that hard. Um, And so you just need to be aware that this is part of what, this next this this part of what defines this generation and 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 they're going to be a part of it in some capacity form fashion and uh and so as parents i think it's it's wise for you to just understand that so that you can uh encourage that and not uh create you know harm or or negativity or squash those things to where it's gonna it's gonna ruin some of that relationship definitely well, Scott and Darwin, um, I mean, I feel like we could sit here probably for hours and just talk about all sorts of different things. Uh, but, you know, uh, to, to respect everyone's time, um, 
basically what, what I've taken from these past two conversations we've had, which are incredible, um, the importance of relationship and building relationship, open communication, uh, trust, uh, mutual trust between a parent and child. Um, those are the core things here for whatever difficulties come up, whatever changes in culture, those are always the ones we need to come back to in order to navigate. Um, but in closing, I mean, you know, from either one of you, any, any, any final thoughts on, on encouragement for parents or, you know, a tip or a tool that they can uh, use? I would say by way of encouragement is that um, none of the stuff that the kids are dealing with today is new stuff. It's just showing up in new ways. And so God can work through it just as he has done in the past. And so the idea of continuing relationships with your students and making open communication a huge part of your parenting and um, in every aspect is just as important then when you were a kid as it is today. Be informed and stay on top of the things that your kids and students are doing um, and be open to having hard conversations with them about really any topic that they bring to you but have that relationship so that they can bring that that uh bring that topic to you openly you can't help them if if they don't trust you enough to come and talk to you exactly one i would say create an environment in your home um to where your kids recognize that that there is room for for failure and that's hard to do because some of us grew up in families that our parents expected us to be perfect. Well, uh, Scott and Darwin, we really appreciate your time. Scott, you know, joining us two weeks in a row, giving up uh, some of your time to share with us and to be our first official guest on the Parent Podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, Derek, hey, we made it. We recorded two episodes of the Parent yeah, Podcast. we made it two. Not bad. Woo! We haven't been canceled. We got people listening and we got more episodes coming, right? We do. Yeah, yeah, so join us every Wednesday. That's when the episodes drop on your favorite podcast platform. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about a special needs family. We have a, my good friend Marsha coming in who runs our Barnabas program here. We're going to learn um, why programs like that are so important for churches, for the community. I think it's going to be a really good conversation, so looking forward yeah. to that. And hopefully how you can get involved and, Absolutely. and engage, even if you don't necessarily have a special needs child in your home, but what can you and your family do? Absolutely. To engage in that. And, and Barnabas is one of our, our big programs here at Autumn Ridge. And uh, it, it's with COVID, we haven't been able to do it in a while. Looking forward to getting that back here soon. So join us next Wednesday as we discuss that. As always, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again. Thank you for listening to The Parent Podcast. The Parent Podcast is produced by Autumn Ridge Church and Robert Nash. Our sound engineer is Ian Benoit. Our theme song is Silver Skies by Geome. Follow us on Twitter at Parent Podcast or on Instagram at The Parent Podcast. You can email us with questions or topics you would like us to cover at parentpodcast at autumnridgechurch.org. For more information on Autumn Ridge Church, please visit autumnridge.church. Thank you for listening.